0: Come on, lift your hands and give the Lord some praise. Worship him tonight. Hallelujah. We bless you, Father. Thank you for your presence in this place. We anticipate the Holy Spirit ministering through Billy and two people. And we believe no one will leave here tonight in need spirit soul or body in the name of jesus we thank you for your anointing on every word that is delivered in this place tonight and we give you praise for it jesus mighty name amen and amen and give him your best shout praise god hallelujah all right shake hands with two or three people and you can be seated We want to welcome all that are watching by way of live stream, and we got reports today that uh, that there are people in our churches in Australia that were watching last night. Uh, our directors in the UK were watching last night, so we welcome all of you, and thank you for watching. Uh, it's going to be good tonight as well, and don't uh, miss tomorrow morning as well, 10 o'clock in the morning. So... Uh, Let's all show up and expect God to do something we're going to like. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Did anybody bring your hanky tonight? Your Billy Brim hanky? Hallelujah. I'm going to be waving mine with you, Billy. Every time you wave it, I'm going to wave mine. Hallelujah. Amen. Did you enjoy it last night? Wasn't it good? I've been looking forward to tonight, so. We want to let Billy have all the time that she needs. So, once again, let's stand and welcome Billy Brim as yes. The, yes. the friend of God. <laughs> I love you, Brother
1: Jerry. I, I just want to say, first off, that I'm so thankful to be friends with Jerry and Carolyn. Amen. There are some of the most integrity filled holy ghost people and you're very blessed to be associated with them in whatever way you are whether you're a member of this church or whatever it's just someone you can walk until jesus comes with it's amazing and the fact that they invited me i was really shocked to tell you the truth (laughs) but i was thankful and you may be seated bless the lord and i'm going to ask my daughter and son-in-law to come and they're gonna they're gonna sing My husband and I were blessed with four children. Uh, We married very young, uh, a few days before I was 18, a few days before he was 20. And we had children fast and furious. And they asked him, they said, are you Catholic? And he said, no, we're passionate Baptists. But we married young and Kent went home to be with the Lord after 29 and a half years of marriage. And uh, I was so glad we married young because the children were all grown. And uh, now they all help me in ministry, every one of them, each one of them gifted in a different way. Shelly travels with me all the time. She can preach anything I preach as well as I preach it. And uh, the Shelly's the first. And then Terry, my son, he's our general manager. And then Brenda, if any of you are WWPs and you're on the, you want a prayer is Brenda? My goodness gracious. They're always glad when I'm not there because she takes them way out in the space in prayer. And uh, then a uh, Chip, he pastors the church that uh, we started down in Collinsville, Oklahoma, where you were there years and years ago. So I'm just so thankful. My grandchildren preach the gospel just so In fact, I'm related to you guys through my grandson, uh, Brandon. And uh, they married sisters. And uh, his grandson's son... And married sisters, and now our grandchildren are going to be first cousins. That's right, isn't it? Oh. so bless the Lord. It's a, you know, God loves family. He made family. He started with a family in the garden, and then Israel is a family. He, it, it's Jacob and his twelve sons, and then what he got when he got ready to, uh, uh, when the Lord Jesus came, he. Uh, his 12 disciples, at least two of them are brothers, two sets of brothers, and they say they might have been his cousins, some of them. So then, when we're going to have the married supper of the Lamb, oh, it's all family. So it's really great. We're thankful to God for family and your family. Hallelujah. We might let you sing again tomorrow. That was audition. Oh, praise the Lord. You know, Jerry sings a song. Uh, not Jerry, but uh, his brother, Jesse. Uh, <laughs> little brother. <laughs> yeah. He sings a song, me and the devil, we had a tussle. Well, I had a tussle today, but it wasn't with the devil. It was with me knowing what to do tonight what to, what to go, which way to go. So I'm I'm going to start out here and I hope I don't overstuff you, but uh, we'll just, uh, I haven't ever gone like this exact way before, but we'll do it tonight and see where the Lord takes us. Jesus is coming soon and I don't know if I'll get back here before he comes. So I've got to give you all tonight. <laughs> But I'm sure I won't get it all. But reviewing last night, um, we went to 2 Timothy 2.15. If you'll go there, you brought your Bibles. Two women in this church did not bring their Bibles tonight. Oh, did you get one? (laughs) Shelly forgot hers and Carolyn forgot hers. (laughs) I was telling them a story of one time we went out to preach for uh, Brendan Mark Thomas in California. And she said, there's someone I want you to meet here. And she took us back to the, the room. And there was this young couple. She said, this young woman started coming to our prayer meeting. She got born again. She went home to her husband. And she said, honey, they're always talking about a man named John G. Lake down there. She said, your, your mother... Uh, or your grandmother, one has on her table in the hall a Bible and it's got on the front of it John Graham Lake. Think that could be the same? So he found out that he is John G. Lake's grandson. He didn't know before the story of John G. Lake. I happen to know John G. Lake's daughter personally and she told me her daddy prayed that none of his children would ever miss heaven. And uh, so there was or his progeny. I pray that same thing. They haven't got a chance. Bless the Lord. But anyway, um, he, he brought that Bible with John G. Lake's name on it, John Graham Lake. And my son Chip took a hold of it and he said, Mom, there's electricity coming out of this Bible up my arm. And I said, let me fill it. And I, I, I took the Bible, same thing. I forgot my Bible that day. It's the only time I've ever been preaching I forgot my Bible. But there I got to preach out of John G. Lake's Bible. And I thought, I'm going to see what he wrote in the flyleaf. And he wrote in there, two, only two things. One of them was, is anything too hard? And the other one was, heaven is not far away. Hallelujah. So 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God... A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is the word of truth. Now this is God's plan. It's his plan for mankind. It's his plan for earth. It's his plan for everything. And it goes from Genesis to Revelation. It's his plan. I remember, Jerry, you said one time, they call us word people, but they could call us favorite word people. Because he just kind of picked out and chose. But this is a plan. This is a plan of God. And in this plan, as we're rightly dividing it, I told you last night how I learned from Kenneth Hagin, to rightly divide the word of God, you must always consider who's doing the talking in any passage and to whom are they speaking. It could be speaking to an individual or could be speaking to a group of people and so we looked at the three groups that the bible talks about and they are in 1 corinthians this is new testament 1 corinthians 10:32 give no one offense you are not to give anyone offense no matter the color of their skin no matter their jews no matter their whatever you are don't have the right to offend anyone give no one offense neither to the jews nor to the Gentiles, that's the nations, nor to the church of God. In the Old Testament, we have the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews and the nations. God's plans are there. In the New Testament, after Jesus came, any man, any Jew, any Gentile who believes in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and takes him as their Lord with their mouth, then they're a brand new creation. They are the church of the living God. I like the Greek word for church, ekklesia. It, 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 the assemblies of God call themselves the assemblies of God because a certain man saw this. And it's an assembly. We are an assembly. And this assembly that we are is a body. We are a body. We are the body of Christ. And he is the head and we are the body. So I like to think of that. As the ecclesia, now in the Bible we are—we call this an end, end of time, end times conference. I'm, I call it an end of days conference and a seminar. Would you please show that day chart again, the seven days? I've seen a lot of charts, and a lot of Christian preachers have come with charts, but this is the simplest one for me. And this is one that was given. I made the chart up. But what was given, the facts in here are what was given to Moses when he was caught up to heaven. He was told that God gave, there was an oral tradition. He was told a lot of things by mouth that he told then to Joshua, and Joshua told to another. And that was the oral down to, and it was never to be written. But when the Jews went into captivity, they thought they had to write it. So that's where the Talmud comes from, the Mishnah. But the oldest, oldest part of it is is very accurate. And this is from the oldest, oldest part of it. It's in the Talmud 97B or A, I forget which. But you could find it, the Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin, 97A or B. And he was told, Moses was told, God gave Adam a six-day work week to see what he would do with earth and gave him the authority, the dominion. You do what you can with earth here. And you've got six days to work. I work six days. Then there's going to be a seventh day, that is a millennial day, a day of rest, like I rested on the seventh day. Now, I believe that Earth is billions of years old. Uh, However long true science needs, that's how old Earth is. And you can read what I think about the pre-Adamic civilization in my book, The Blood and the Glory. I'm not sure they sent them, but anyway... um, so, But it was 6,000 years ago that Adam came. There was a pre-Adamic civilization. It fell. Then earth was dark and dark waters and the Holy Ghost moved after a time. We don't know how long. But then God, what we have now, there's a, a, a space, a gap between Genesis 1, 1 and Genesis 1, 2. And so when he created Adam, it was 6,000 years ago. Now, in this six-day work week that God gave Adam, 1,000 years equals one day. We know that from Peter. We know that from the Psalms. One day is as a thousand years in your sight, and a thousand years is one day. So these are divided into three sections. The first two are the days of chaos. Men just did what they saw right in their own eyes. Then came the Torah, which is the written word. He called Moses up, and he gave him a written word, the Torah. Then there are two days of the Torah, and at the end of the fourth day... The Messiah comes. We've just had um, Passover. I was in Israel for Passover and Easter. And this year they coincided, exactly like it was when Jesus was here. And uh, he fulfilled. I'd like to have time to preach on the calendar, but we don't have time. But anyway, all of those, those, those special days are are a redemption, a calendar of redemption. And they had to take a lamb, and they took it on the 10th day of the month, and they kept it up four days. And then after four days, the lamb was sacrificed. And Jesus came after four days, four 1,000-year days. He was to come at the end of the fourth day. Now, when you look at the Talmud, there will be an ascaris there, and it will say the Messiah was supposed to come, But he didn't come because we weren't ready. But we know that he did come. And he came on the fullness of time. He came exactly when he was supposed to come. Now it has been 2,000 years since he came. So the last two days are called in the Bible. If you could read Hebrew, when it says the latter days, what it really says in the Hebrew is the end of days. So the end of days is two days long. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, it was the beginning of the end of days. This is that which the prophet Joel spoke. Now, we are at the end of the end of days. We're right here at the end. Now, at the end of the sixth day, there will be a seven-year period, one week of days. This is Daniel's 70th week, and this is the great tribulation time. So, we'll talk a little bit about that. So we learned there were three groups of peoples and the Lord has end of days plans for each one of these peoples. And you determine which one they are, which one he's talking to, and then you can rightly divide. And if you rightly divide, and we're going to see it really plain tomorrow. I absolutely know what I'm going to preach tomorrow and I've known it all along. What I preach tonight will be a surprise to me. (laughs) But tomorrow we're starting with the rapture and then we're going on through the Mary's Supper of the Lamb. So you're going to see that we are absolutely not going to be here for the tribulation time. Bless the Lord. Now, he's got plans for the Jews, and he's got plans for the nations. So we're going to look, and I'm going to try to get this in just as little time as I can, because I want to get over to the church, even tonight. So to go through the plan of God for the Jews, nations, and the church in one night... Open your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 31. And you should go home and read chapters 31 and 32 because they are a book within a book. 30 and 31, excuse me. Shelly helps me out if I make mistakes. She's heard this so many times. (laughs) 30 and 31. So Isaiah, excuse me, Jeremiah chapter 30. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all of the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. That's going to be the next two chapters. It's a book within a book. For lo the days come, saith the Lord, and you know that when it's capital L O R D it's Jehovah, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah. Israel was the northern kingdom. We call them the ten lost tribes, and Judah the southern kingdom. So they're separated at one time. But he says they're going to come back together. I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. Now I have some uh, books back there. This is God's, just scriptures. This little book is God's promises of the land to Israel. All scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture where God says, I'm giving this land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants forever. So that's back there. And um, he said he's going to bring them back to the land and they shall possess it. And these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and concerning Judah. Now, right now, he's going to talk about the tribulation time. For thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now and see whether a man doth travail with child. Whether do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Now, there's a word in the Hebrew, sar, T S A R, and that word means a narrow place. It's a narrow place that you're pushed into by outside pressure. It is translated tribulation, it is translated affliction, and it is the word, the picture of the word, um, and is used something like it in the New Testament of the birth canal. There's a baby to come, and there's a pushing, and then you get the baby. So there's a travail that's going to happen here. What actually happens during that seven years, if you'll put that back up, what happens during that seven years is that's the time that God is finally dealing with the nations, and then he is dealing with Israel and perfecting them so they'll be ready to to head up The millennial government on earth under him. So, uh, this time of Jacob's trouble is that period, that seven years. It's Jacob's. Whenever the Bible calls Israel Jacob, it means his flesh children. It means Abraham, he doesn't call them Abraham, Abraham had other children. He doesn't call them Isaac, Isaac had another son. He calls them Jacob because Jacob had 12 sons and they're the 12 tribes of Israel. So when he's talking about the progeny of the 12 tribes, he calls them Jacob. It is the time of Jacob's pressing, affliction, trouble, the tribulation time. But he shall be saved out of it. Now, every time it talks about it, it says that Israel will be saved out of it. This is the time of Daniel's 70th week, if you've heard of that, where Daniel talks and prophesies about this week. Daniel's 70th week. It shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will break the yoke from off his neck. Now let's look at verse 10. Therefore, fear not thou, O my servant Jacob, flesh descendants, saith the Lord, neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity. They've been spread all over the world. We talked about it last night. But God said, you're still going to show me. You're still going to be my witness because just before the Messiah comes, I'm going to bring you all back home. And he did it. The odds are amazing. One of the greatest miracles of all is that the Jews knew who they were through all these thousands of years. And he was able to bring them back. And oh my goodness, I'm a witness to that. I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return and shall be in rest and be quiet and none shall make him afraid. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee, though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered you. Now we see the nations. Yet I will not make a full end of thee, but I will correct you in measure. Now go down to verse uh, 16. Therefore, all they that devour thee shall be devoured. And all thine adversaries, every one of them, shall go into captivity. And they that spoil thee shall be a spoil. And all that prey upon thee I will give for a prey. Here he's talking about the nations. He scattered the he scattered the Jews throughout. All the nations of the world. Remember last night when I tore apart the flowers? And then everywhere they went, they knew they were Jews. And they knew they represented God. Whether they liked them or didn't like them. Right. And so however they were treated, in whatever land they went to, because God's purpose for the Jews was to reveal God to the, to the world, to the nations. Now how they treated them, that's going to be how the nations are judged. All nations as nations, (coughs) are judged on how they treated Israel. And so, (coughs) excuse me, I put this little book together, Judgments of the Nations, and it's scriptures like this, just scripture after scripture after scripture, which says, how did you judge, how did you treat Israel? We're not going to have time to go into it. But if we did... Because Russia is very definitely in Bible prophecy in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Some of them, the biggest number of Jews after the captivity, when they were carried away by the Romans, went to Russia. They went to that north. And there they were always terribly persecuted. Tsarist Russia terribly persecuted them. Did you see Fiddler on the Roof? Every time something would go wrong, the Tsar would blame the Jews. He had this... uh, Uh, false document written, uh, the protocols of the elders of Zion, and then uh, under communism they weren't allowed to meet, all kinds of things. But Russia has had one of the worst reputations of how they treat Jews. Uh, Anti-Semitism there, terrible. But nations as nations when they go into judgment. That's why we have to have people in the United States of America. That's why I belong to Christians United for Israel. And we, we call on our senators and representatives up in their offices in Washington, D.C. and we say, stay with Israel. Because if you bless Israel, you'll be blessed. And if you curse Israel, you're going to be cursed. Now what's going on right now, and we're not going to have time to talk about it, but right now everything is lining up for the final judgment of the nations. When God says he's going to do it, all they that devoured you will be devoured. All thine adversaries, every one of them, shall go into captivity. They that spoiled you shall be a spoil. All that preyed upon you, all will give for a prey. You think he won't do that? He's going to do everything he said. He is not a man that he should lie. And he says to Israel, verse 17, I will restore health to you and heal you of your wounds. Uh, But look at the end of verse 20. I will punish all that oppress them. And then he gives them more promises in verse um, 22. I've written in my Bible so much I can't see the numbers. And you shall be my people. And I will be your God. Now the judgments of the Lord of the last days often use the word whirlwind, a whirlwind of God's judgment, a thunder, lightning. This has to there's judgment scriptures. We've been hearing a lot about them lately from the Lord in, in our prayer calls, if you're on the prayer calls. So behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goes forth with a fury. A continuing whirlwind, it shall fall with pain upon the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord shall not return until he's done it, until he has performed the intents of his heart. Now, King James here says, In the latter days you shall consider it. Actually, it says, In the end of days you shall consider it. So we know that we're in the end of days and we're considering this. So we're obeying the Bible. Hallelujah. Now, uh, The next chapter just goes on and on. At the same time, saith the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel and they shall be my people. Uh, And thus saith the Lord, the people which were left and going on, uh, I have loved you in the next chapter, he says, with an everlasting love. I will build you again. We could preach and preach on Samaria and all what these scriptures mean. But look at verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations. This is a scripture that is... Addressed to the nations. Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations, and declare it in the isles afar of off and say, He that scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him, guard him, as a shepherd does his flock. And so we could go on and I'm telling you, I could preach all of this, all of this. But we'll just skip on over to um, the last verses, which we read last night. Verse 35. Thus saith the Lord, which gives the sun for a light by day and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, who divides or stirs up the sea when the waves thereof roar, Jehovah of hosts is his name. If those ordinances, the sun, the moon, the stars depart from before me, saith Jehovah, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me. So as long as there's a sun, there's a moon and there's stars, there's going to be an Israel. And in that seventh day, that millennial day, there's going to be an Israel. And the mountain of the Lord's house, it says, will rise up above all mountains, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2. And out of Zion will go forth the word of God. And uh, so they're going to be, uh, they will have been, they will have been changed by that time. They will have recognized their Messiah. Uh, We won't go into all those scriptures now, but they're so exciting. They're in the book of Zechariah uh thus in verse uh 37 thus saith the lord if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath i'll cast off israel from being i will cast off the seed of israel for all that they've done and of course he's not doing that now um, so that's israel and that's what he's doing with them And he's preparing them. He's brought them back home. He will refine them according to what he says he will do. And they will be prepared when it's time. They will have recognized him. They will have looked upon him whom they've pierced. When he comes back and puts his feet down on the Mount of Olives. And they will recognize him whom they have pierced. And they will fall into a deep repentance. This is Zechariah chapter 12. And they will weep and mourn. And then the next verse says, and they, there is a fountain prepared for them. And that fountain is filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And so people in the millennial age, they won't be like you and me. You and me, we're going to be glorified. We'll have a body like unto his glorious body. People during the millennial age, Jews will be here. Sheep nations will be here. They will have longevity they will be restored, longevity, but they'll be these bodies, but they will have had longevity restored. The Bible says they're even going to have babies and children are going to be born. And there's going to be, it'll be a marvelous, marvelous time upon the earth in that millennial age. And then after that, you go into the eighth day in eternity future. So, so what the future is as bright as God can make it as bright as God can make it. It'll be perfect. But there's some judgment, and the judgment's going on right now, really going on among the nations. And so uh, things are moving right along. Now, that's Israel, and uh, now we're going to look a little bit at the nations, not everything about them, but turn to uh, Matthew 25, and you're going to see the judgment of nations as nations. Matthew twenty five thirty one. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. This is not the rapture. The rapture, only the church is going to see Him. And we're going to go up and meet Him in the air. But this is when He's coming in His glory with all the holy angels with Him. He's defeated the Antichrist. We'll talk a little bit about more about that later. And then he has before him gathered all the nations. We don't see a resurrection here. These are the nations that were on the earth during that seven-year period. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. You'll never end up in the goat pile. Because I don't care what sermons you heard preached that you could be a goat. You're not going to be a goat. These are the nations. Three groups of people. The Jews, the nations, Gentiles, and the church. The church. You're a part of the church. And so your future is totally... You're not in this judgment group. Neither are the Jews. But the nations that were here during that seven-year period, they're gathered up before him. We don't see any resurrection. And he shall set... Verse 33... The sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Then the king shall say. He's the king now, king Messiah. Unto them on his right hand, come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungered. You gave me meat. I was thirsty. I was a stranger. I was in prison. You know how it goes. They said, when do we do all that? And he said in verse 40, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Micah 5, 2 and 3, we're not going to take time to go there, but Micah 5, 2 and 3 tells us that he called his brethren, Israel are his brethren. So how did you treat the Jews, nations? Did you hide them when the Antichrist was after them? Did you you protect them or did you go on his side and you persecuted them during that time? So the sheep nations are going to go into the millennium and the goat nations who who sided up with the antichrist and his antics, they'll never be heard of again. This is the judgment of the nations. Praise the Lord. So that's, now we're going to swallow. Now I want to talk a little bit about the church. If this is so, if Jesus is coming soon, what about us? What state should we be in? What should I do? What does God expect of me? Do I just have fire insurance? <laughs> no. Tomorrow, we're going to talk, starting at the rapture, what we're talking about now. <clears throat> in 1988... Uh, I went up to preach at uh, Mac and Lynn Hammond's church in Minneapolis, and they said, Brother Hagen is at a campgrounds over here in uh, Wisconsin, and people are driving their RVs and everything over there on the campgrounds, and let's go over to that meeting. I said, okay, let's go. So we drove over. The meeting had already been going on a a, a night or two. (coughs) We walked in the back door, and Brother Hagen up at the platform says, there's Billy Brim. The Lord told me she's going to be here tonight and she's going to preach. (laughs) They do not know who Billy Brim is. It's 1988. I only started traveling in ministry in 1980. They don't know me. They came to hear Brother Hagin. You can imagine having to preach when they're disappointed. And he said, the Lord told me you were coming. And the Lord told me to tell you to share what he's been showing you. I thought, brother Hagen, are you ready for this? Are they ready for this? Because what he had been showing me was Second Peter. The whole book of Second Peter is prophetic, and he had been showing me how it ties in with the book of Hosea, and it how it tells you exactly when Jesus is coming. So I, I'm not going to preach that here tonight, but I I love to do it. It's, it's amazing. So I did I just shut my eyes and and and, and did it. And Brother Hagan said, <clears throat> I agree with every word she said. Dismissive people. So we're there, you know, and you're eating in a cafeteria type deal, it's a camp like grounds. And he's we having fun and eating like we always did with Brother Hagan and Sister Hagan and he says, "When we get back to Tulsa, I want you to come to my office." Duh. <laughs> I thought, dear God, what was it? I went over what i talked about. What did he find? Was there something in there that's not right? And I, I dreaded. Did you go with me to that office that time? Shall, I got Shelly to go with me. I was, you know. And so I went to the office and Brother Hagin said, you you teaching about Israel in the times of the end is truth? He said, you are anointed for it. I know it's true. I'm not anointed to teach it. Another time, Shelly and I went to see him just before he left. We went to his office, and he told us, Shelly heard him, when you go to Israel, I go to Israel. He talked to me a lot about Israel. People didn't know that he did. He talked to me about end-time things. People didn't know that he did because he followed his anointing. He's supposed to teach God's people faith. So uh, anyway, I got to his office, and he said, camp meeting is coming up, and I want you to take two afternoons at camp meeting, and I want you to develop this. Preach it more slowly, you know. And he said, um, so he told me which evenings and afternoons. Then he put his hands on his desk and he got up and he had fire in his eyes. And he said, Jesus is coming. And Satan is going to do everything in his power to stop it. And suddenly I thought, this thing is real. This is real. Satan is fighting for his survival. What we see happening in the world right now, it's Satan. He studied this word. He knows that if ever, ever he can stop one of God's words from coming to pass, he'll win. And so he tries to do it. Oh, how he's tried with the Jews. God made the promises. I'm going to bring them back home. He tried to kill them all out there. They're not very many. They're not a big population. He'll just, his plan for them, just kill them all. And so he's done it all down through the years. He did it with this horrible, came in the Catholic, uh, well, the Roman church. Let's go back to the time of Constantine when they said God was through with the Jews. And that's why they locked up the Bible. People couldn't read it. They might see in there that there's some plans for the Jews. And something, and he and and, and what Constantine put forth was the church has taken place of the Jews, and now the church gets all the promises that were promised to the Jews. You can't understand this, so you're going to have to have a priest to read it to you. So they locked up the Bible, and it became the Dark Ages. Uh, Some people printed the Bible and printed it in a man's language, and the Puritans saw it, and they saw that the Jews do have promises. And that's a long story, won't go into church history, but. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. So uh, Satan tried to wipe them all out from the beginning with replacement theology. Then you can go down through the times, the Crusaders. That was a horrible time. I would never name a basketball team the Crusaders because the Crusaders murdered, slaughtered Jews and Muslims in Jerusalem when Godfrey of Bouillon took the first crusade in there and. They had, from him slaughtering Jews and Muslims, they waited in blood, ankle deep, and took communion. That's the Crusades he tried to wipe them out in. And then the Spanish Inquisition and Tsarist Russia. Tsarist Russia was horrid. Um, Ivan the Terrible, for instance, was the Tsar. He was terrible. And he... Loved to see things die. When he was a little boy, he used to go up on top of towers and drop down puppy dogs and run down and watch them die. And so he had a bunch of thug monks. And with uh, Orthodox uh, Russian church, they have uh, icons, and they're real, you know, they don't look real. And he'd stand in front of them until he went into a trance, and then he'd see who he's supposed to kill that night. And then they'd all get drunk, and they'd kill. It could be his best friends. But he went to this one town, all Jewish towns, all Jews that lived there. And he said, you can be like me if you'll convert right now. Who want to be like him? I don't know, but that's what he told them. You can be a Christian like me. You can be saved. But if you don't convert, then I'm going to drown you all in this river. And he did. He drowned the whole town in an icy river. So there's horror story after horror story after horror story from Tsarist Russia communist Russia, and then we have all remember the Holocaust and Hitler and how he was going to wipe them all out. I'm a kind of a student of that. It's this horrible. Shelley and I went to Auschwitz and the horrors of it are unbelievable. All to wipe out the Jews. Who's behind it? Who took over Hitler? He can remember the night that Satan took him over, entered into him to get rid of the Jews. So Satan's plan to get rid of the Jews, kill them. Now, there's another group God's gave, God has covenant with. Another group that God has given promises to, and that's the body of Christ, the ecclesia. And the plan for us is we to be a glorious church. We He is the most glorious bridegroom ever there was, and he is to have the most glorious bride ever there was. So just turn to Ephesians here, and we'll just look real quickly. Ephesians chapter 5. This is God's plan for us. Oh, folks, hallelujah. I really know there's coming a big move of God. I really know the church is going to be glorious. I love to preach on the glory. I've had visions of the glory. I wrote my book, The Blood and the Glory. I have seen, oh, so much about the glory. And I do know that he's going to lift us from glory to glory to glory to glory and lift us back into the presence of God. Your place for eternity is in the face of God. We're a special group. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 5. My favorite book in the Bible, Ephesians. And verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the ecclesia, the body, and gave himself for her. Newer translations will say her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. God filled the tabernacle, Moses built the tabernacle and God filled it with his glory. Solomon, Solomon built the temple and God filled it with his glory. The Holy Ghost is building the church and we're going to be filled with the glory of God. Hallelujah. Woo! Glory to God. So, Satan sees that plan. And he's got a plan to stop it. What does he do? What does he do to stop the glory? Strife, division, People won't walk in love. Notice suffered wrongs. Take offense. And when he does that, we... And why do we let him keep fooling us like that? Why don't we just walk in love? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, Amplified Bible. The Holy Ghost has shed blood across in, uh, love of God across in my heart. All I have to do to let it loose is just confess that. Let it loose alter out me, overtake me. Not notice suffered wrongs. So that's God's plan for us. Now then, did pretty good. This is just where I wanted to be when I start this. What does God expect out of us now? Well, he expects us to walk in love. And he expects us to walk in the authority of the believer. He told us, you're right there in Ephesians. Look at, look at Ephesians chapter 6. 6
0: verse
1: 12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. But against principalities, rulers, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now look at Ephesians chapter 2. And if I'd known I was going to preach this tonight, I would not have brought this Bible. This is Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. And I have another Bible, a really good Bible marked up that Ephesians is still in its place. But I didn't know I was going to preach this tonight. Look at Ephesians 2, two, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. He's called the prince of the power of the air. He's called the God of this world. Now this tells us right here that he is is people in this world who are the children of disobedience. And that's not disobedience children. They're children of disobedience. That he's working through them. So we look at politicians. We look at. Different peoples, like that one picture you showed me. is Satan working down through them. It's Satan working down through them. Our adversaries, not each other. If he can get us thinking each, it's each other, then he can stop the glory. Because glory is tied to unity. That's what Jesus said in his prayer, John 17. Bless the Lord. So he's working down through them prince of the power of the air i remember one time i went to an afternoon meeting where brother Hagin was preaching out at Ramah. he used to teach there every day had prayer and healing and he was there and he said today i'm going to teach you on the demons devil demons demon possession he said if you could see it and your eyes were not holding the very air about you is infested with devils demons but not to worry he said There's at least twice as many angels. And with that, something took Brother Hagin. He went horizontal and laid him on the floor. People started. Elizabeth Pruitt was there, and she said someone behind her started rebuking the devil. But it wasn't the devil. It was an angel. That room filled with the glory of God. And we sat there. Glory is a word kavod, and it comes from the word keved. Keved is heavy. And glory is heavy with everything good, copiousness, splendor, God. Hallelujah. But when the glory comes on you, sometimes you're, you're sat upon. Sometimes your feet are heavy and you can't walk or can't move. That whole afternoon crowd in a room about this size was filled with people Nobody moved a muscle. So then, after a bit, Brother Hagin took a hold of the pulpit, pulled himself up. This afternoon, I am going to teach you on the devil, demons, and demon possession. If your eyes were not holding and you could see, the very air about you is infested with devils. But not to worry, there are at least twice as many angels. He goes horizontal again, down to the floor. This time, the heavy, heavy spirit comes upon us. The glory, it's the glory. I I am not moving. And I'm a person who moves. You know, I got to move. Move my feet a little bit. Move something. I am not moving my eyes. I remember thinking, my eyes are not blinking. (laughs) Then... I don't know how long. It goes like this. This afternoon, I'm going to teach you on the devil, demons, and demon possession. If you could only see and your eyes were not holding, the very air about you is infested with devils. But not to worry, there are at least twice as many angels. And this time, at this time, This comes upon us for I don't know how long. And we sat and sat and sat. Who's the glory on us. And then he pulled himself back up and he said, let's sing something joyful. And so we started singing. I will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. And people started spinning like tops. Spin, 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 spin like tops. This one lady, she was a Raymond student. She has a pastor now in England. I said, did you ever spin like that before? Never. Just like those little toy tops, all around. And then after we spun a while and danced a while, he looked at his clock, his watch, and he said, my goodness, it's almost 7 o'clock. There's a meeting going to start in here in 15 minutes. We've got to get out of here. And we had been there since 1.30, But it had seemed like nothing. The spirit realm is more real than the natural realm. And your battle is not in the natural. What's trying to stop you is in the spirit realm. And he's trying to stop us right now. Satan is fighting for his survival. He has read the book. He knows what's in there. He still thinks he can stop it. And so he's trying to stop the body of Christ. He's trying to stop you. He's trying to stop ministers. All kinds of attacks come on the ministers' families. All kinds of attacks come on everybody that he tries to stop. But there is a wonderful and marvelous truth. And that truth is we have authority over all the power of the devil. Amen. I didn't know I was going to preach on this, and I wish I had, because we have what we call the authority package. And it's a book by John A. McMillan, The Authority of the Believer, a book by Kenneth Hagin, The Believer's Authority, and then this little book we do have out there, The Authority of the Believer and How to Use It. So I worked for Brother Hagin, and the book that he had on The Believer's Authority far outmoved or outsold any other book that we had. I could tell you amazing stories about people using the authority of the believer. Now this is brother Hagin's forward in that book. Back in the 1940s, I asked myself the question. Do we have authority that we don't know about? That we haven't discovered? That we're not using? I had had little glimpses of spiritual authority once in a while. Like others, I had stumbled upon it and had exercised it without knowing what I was doing. I wondered, is the Spirit trying to show me something? So I began to study along this line, to think along this line, to feed along this line, and I began to see more and more light. An article in the Pentecostal Evangel prompted my study on the word power and authority. Then I came across wonderful pamphlets entitled The Authority of the Believer by John A. McMillan, a missionary to China and the Philippines. As a result of my studies, I concluded that we as a church have authority on the earth that we've never yet realized authority we're not using. Now listen to this paragraph. A few of us have barely gotten to the edge of that authority. But before Jesus comes again, there's going to be a whole company of believers who will rise up with the authority that is theirs. They will know what is theirs, and they will do the work that God intended they should do. That's our business right now. Take authority over the devil. Here is the preface of John Macmillan's book The rapidly approaching end of the age is witnessing a tremendous increase in the activity of the powers of darkness. He died in 1956. Have we seen anything since then? To meet the situation, the church of Christ needs a new conception of prayer. The urgent call is for men and women wholly yielded to the Lord, whose eyes have been enlightened to see their ministry in the heavenlies. Listen to that phrase. Their ministry in the heavenlies. You and I have a ministry in the heavenlies that is much higher than any ministry we have on earth. We need, the urgent call is for men and women who totally, wholly yielded to the Lord. Are you wholly yielded to the Lord? There's a step to take. All in whose eyes have been enlightened to see the ministry in the heavenlies to which they have been called, such believers may, in union with the great head of the body, exercise an authority to which the powers of the air must give place wherever challenged. The Bible says, resist, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Brother Hagin said if he doesn't flee, you didn't resist. Because he has to. He's bound. He's bound by the word of God. So the Lord <laughs> this is this authority of the believer he's He's taught me about this for years and years and years. in the blood, I wrote the book, The Blood and the Glory. The blood is a part of this, of weapons of our warfare that are not carnal. But are mighty through God. Bless the Lord. So I put together this little book. It's named Authority of the Believer and How to Use It. And I got most of it. A lot of it from Macmillan's book and even quoted him directly in here. Christians have the authority to keep their areas free from shooters, murderers, shooting sprees at local schools, churches, malls, public events. Christians have the authority to keep their areas free from suicide demons, Christians have the authority to keep Satan from having high carnival in their homes and in their families. We have the authority to stop it. We don't pray about it. Brother Hagin, Jesus appeared to him. He had a lot of open eye visions. And Jesus is teaching him, teaching Brother Hagin in an open eye vision. A little demon comes here, little monkey like thing, and shoots up a screen a smoke screen. And it gets between Jesus and Brother Hagin. And Brother Hagin can't hear a word Jesus is saying, and he sees that Jesus is still talking. And Brother Hagin's thinking, why doesn't Jesus do something about that? Doesn't he know I can't hear him? And he thought that over and over, and finally he he said, get out of here in the name of Jesus. And away he went, and down went the screen. And Jesus said to him, it's a good thing you did that because if you hadn't done it, I couldn't have. And Brother Hagan said, oh, Lord, you, you mean you wouldn't have. No, I couldn't have. I was given all authority in heaven and earth, and I gave the authority to the church, the body of Christ. He said, you never see once in the Bible that I told you to pray about the devil, that I would do something in the New Testament. It's not there. Never, ever. In the New Testament, it's full of the fact that my body, with the authority the head gave them, has authority over the devil. And the devil has to obey us. Yes. I remember when that long mock- Another thing about Brother Hagin. Don't invite me if you don't want to hear Brother Hagin's stories. This is coming apart here. Yeah, you can pull it down in the back. And then I need to fasten it in the front. You all can be humming to yourselves. Uh, praising the Lord. Thinking about your authority. There, that'll be good. Praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Longmont, Colorado. You remember that was kind of the first of the shootings that came in the, in the churches, in the school? And uh, Rachel Tifatel, a great woman of prayer, she said, Lord, you could have done something about that. And he said, Well, they kicked me out of schools a long time ago. But he said, You could have done something about it. And if any believers will circle their schools with the blood of Jesus and put a bloodline around it and walk around them, there will never be a shooting in those schools. Once Brother Hagin, he saw this vision. He, it happened more than once that he saw these frogs. These frog spirits came up out of the uh, Atlantic Ocean, hopped up, hopped up, and hopped up to Washington, D.C. And uh, then Brother Hagin was told the Satan has a great plan against your country. But you go home to Tulsa, and you start a prayer group, and you stop that plan. So Brother Kagan came home. He began a prayer group. And we would, we would stand against that thing. And we did it for a while, and then we quit. And then came Watergate. Now, I know that some of you all don't remember Watergate, but some of you do remember Watergate, and it shook this nation. Now, Watergate, what the sin was in Watergate, I don't even know if anybody pay attention to it anymore. But then it was a big deal, and it shook the nation. And the Lord said to Brother Hagin, Nothing goes on in the United States of America that the church didn't allow to happen. The authority comes with a new birth. It's not something you earn. It comes because you're born. His body. But believers must know about it, and they must know how to operate in it. It is operated from a seat of authority at the right hand of the Father on high. A seat every believer can rule from because they are seated there in Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah bless the lord um turn in your bibles to ephesians chapter one now when brother hagen read Macmillan's book and he got this message he got this in him and he wrote the book he told us that we should start praying this prayer in ephesians every day so i did i've been praying this prayer every day for almost 50 years and it, is, it starts at Ephesians 1, 17. So we're just going to read that through right now. And this is the prayer. That the God of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of his calling And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenlies, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age and world, but also in that which is to come. And he had put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him which filleth all in all. And you hath He quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now go to verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace we are saved, and has raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus." People are always arguing about when was the church born. The way I see it, we came up with him in his body up out of death, hell, and the grave. When the head was quickened, we were quickened. When the head was raised, we, the body, was raised. When the head was seated at the right hand of the Father, we were seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus came right back, and in John twenty. He breathed on his disciples and he said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Those are the first ones who was an actuality in their lives. The church was empowered at Pentecost, but it was in the mind of God when he raised up Jesus triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. And we are ever since and ever more triumphant and the devil knows it. And it's time the church found it out. That's what he expects out of us. He expects us to be who we are. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Macmillan's book is so outstanding that for the rest of this chapter I wrote, I'm just quoting him. So this is Macmillan. When the Lord Jesus, the captain of our salvation, was raised from the dead... The act of resurrection was accomplished through the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of the strength of his might when he raised Jesus from the dead. Resurrection power. In this working, when he resurrected Jesus, there was such a putting forth of the divine omnipotence that the Holy Spirit through the apostle requires four Greek words. To bring out the thought, their combination signifies that behind the fact of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, there lay the mightiest working recorded in the word of God. It's a mightier working than creation. When he raised Jesus from the dead, all the powers of hell tried to stop him. The principalities, the powers, the authorities, they all tried to stop him. The resurrection had been opposed by the tremendous powers of the air. All principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this age, but that which is to come. The evil forces of the age to come had been arrayed against the purpose of God. He's still arrayed against against God's purpose. He's arrayed against God's purpose in you. But don't let him win. You don't have to. If you find out it's Satan that's behind something, it's a done deal. The evil forces of the age to come had been arrayed against the purpose of God. They had, however, been baffled and overthrown, and the risen Lord had been enthroned far above them, ruling with the authority of the Most High. All the demonstration of the glory of God. these are all MacMillan's words, shown in the, mat, and I got the right to do it because we're the ones that print MacMillan's book. So I can quote him just verbatim. won't get sued or anything. All the demonstration, they were gonna let it go out of print, and so we just got the rights. All the demonstration of the glory of God shown in the manifestation of his omnip- omnipotence pointed manward. It's the power to us yes. who believe. The cross of Christ, with what it reveals, shows us a representative man overcoming for mankind and preparing through his own incumbency a throne. And a heavenly ministry for those who should overcome through him. Christ and his people were raised together. The reviving of Christ expresses also the reviving of his people. That is to say, the very act of God which raised the Lord from among the dead raised also his body. Head and body are naturally raised together. Christ, the head, his body, the church, the ecclesia, the assembly. Ephesians lifts the believer with the ascended Lord to the heavenlies where he is made a partaker of Christ's throne. Through the elevation of the Lord's people with their head, they are made to sit with Christ in the heavenlies. Christ's seat is at the right hand of God. His people, therefore, occupy with him the same august position. This honor is not to a chosen few, but is the portion of all those who share the resurrection of the Son of God. It is the birthright of every true believer, of every born-again child of God. We must not despise our birthright. The right hand of the throne of God is the center of power of all creation. And the exercising of the power of the throne was committed unto the assembled unto the ascended Lord. Now listen to this: the elevation of his people with him to the heavenlies has no other meaning that they are than that they are sharers of the authority which is his. They are made to sit with him; that is, they share his throne. To share a throne means without question to partake of the authority which it represents. Indeed, they have been thus elevated in the plan of God for this very purpose that they may even now, right now, April, whatever this is, exercise to the extent of their spiritual apprehension authority over the powers of the air and over the conditions which those powers have brought about on the earth and are still creating through their ceaseless manipulation of the minds and circumstances of mankind. Adam was given the dominion on the earth, but he turned it over to the devil. Those devils shouldn't be the prince of the power of the air. They shouldn't be the god of this world. That was Adam's place to rule from. But he sold it out. But we've been raised far above them. And those powers of the air are going to be shaken. Shaken out of their places. They're already trembling up there. Hallelujah. They tremble every morning because I get up. And I tell them every single day what you're not going to do. To me and my house. Chip was talking to me when we were on the phone. Shelley and I were driving to the airport. And. We were talking with Chip on the phone. He said, Mom, you rely on that authority. I said, Yes, sir, I do. I rely on it. I believe it. I know he has no place in me. Bless the Lord. I don't need to be mean to be a know-it-all. I just found out about this years and years and years ago. And so for many, many years I've been practicing it. John Osteen knew about it. He said every morning the devils would say, he's up again. (laughs) Hallelujah. Rebel rulers of authority. It is necessary to state here, these are Macmillan's words. What is commonly understood by those who carefully study the word, that the kingdoms of this world are under the control and leadership of satanic principalities. Jesus himself called him the prince of this world. He's called the God of the air. Although a rebel against the Most High, and now under judgment, he's still at large. And as the masses of mankind are also rebels, he maintains over them an unquestioned because unsuspected rule, their eyes being blind to his dominance. The God of the whole earth does not propose to tolerate this forever. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. What we're waiting on right now is Adam's lease to end. We're waiting for the end of the sixth day. We're waiting for Adam's lease to run out. The minute that lease runs out, it'll be the day of the Lord. God did not just move in and usurp like Satan did. He works legally. And the Prince of the Power of the Air is legally because man let him be there. But Jesus restored to us the ability to halt him in his maneuvers, to cease his operations. Hallelujah. God, having redeemed a people and purified them, has introduced them into the heavenlies. This purpose, present and future, is very definitely stated in Ephesians 3, 9 through 11. So let's read that. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. This is the mystery of the church. Which from the beginning of the ages, that word is not world, has been hid in God. Who created all things by Christ Jesus to the intent. God is a God of purpose. To the intent that now. Now. Noon is the word here. Now. Unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Might be known through the church. The Greek word is through. The manifold wisdom of God. According to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. All of this happened that now, right now, you and I, it's God's will that you and I make known God and his power and his authority to the principalities and powers. Right now, that's your job. That's the job of the church. That's how we stop things. Yes, I I am a person who does things actively. I am active in government things. I am active in Israel and government things. But there is no natural means that will overcome spiritual wickedness. Spiritual wickedness and spiritual power has to be handled with spiritual weapons. With the blood of Jesus and taking our authority. Brother Hagin said about, and I'm all, all for, I'm, I'm I'm for getting rid of abortion, all that jazz. But I heard Brother Hagin say one time, if they would pray and use their authority as much as they march, this would all have been over long ago. All right, this is the mystery of the church. To the intent that now to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, might be known through the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose. God has had an eternal purpose. It's the purpose of the ages. It's His purpose since before the very first age. It's always been His purpose way, 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 way back there when Abraham came. And He's going to bring forth the Messiah, and the Messiah is going to bring forth a body. It's God's eternal purpose of the ages, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is the eternal purpose? That we make manifest to those principalities and powers, to Satan and all of his imps, the power of God. That is the purpose of the ages, that there would be a group, there would be a body that would do that, and that's you and me. Macmillan writes, This purpose, present and future, is very definitely stated in Ephesians as the divine will that now, the present time, unto the principalities and powers in the heavenly places might be made known through the church the manifold wisdom of God. The church is to be God's instrument in declaring to these rebellious and now usurping powers the divine purpose. This is further declared to be according to the eternal purpose of the ages, which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. God, through all the past ages, all of them, has had in view this wonderful plan of preparing in Christ Jesus a people chosen and called and faithful, whom he might place in these heavenly seats to rule now, and through the ages to come. Macmillan believed, and I believe, that while the... Now, you don't have to believe this. Here's what he believed, and here's what I believe. That the Jews are going to be ruling as normal people with longevity on the earth. But we will have... That Bible, that, that scripture in the Revelation, which says that will come and rule on the earth, it's really over. We'll rule over the earth, and we will take the places, whatever they had in the heavenlies, we'll have those rules, the places of the principalities and powers. Christ sits far above all. He's put all things under his feet. The feet are the members. They're in the body of Christ. Hallelujah. I don't know that I put this part in there. But he said, maybe, maybe it's here. I think so. I give that book, Macmillan's book, to people. I've given it to them for years. And then I'll tell them, you have to do this. It's not something you agree to. When they came out of Exodus, when they came out of the Egypt, they couldn't just agree that that was a nice plan. You put the blood on the doorpost and on the lentils. When you can go fishing if you want to. No, you got to get behind that blood. you got to get in that house. You have to do it. So I tell them, now I'm giving you this book and do page 27. That's Macmillan's page 27. I'm going to read it to you what it says. And then here they'll come again. I'm thinking of one case. Particularly. And the devil just having heart high carnival. And I said, Did I give you that book? Yes, uh-huh. I got it. It's here. I read it. Are you doing page twenty seven? <clears throat> well, you have to do it. You have to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only, to see in your own self. So here's what it says on page twenty seven. Do we believe that God hath quickened us together with Christ? And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places. If we do, our reaction to it will be a fervent, Lord, I accept thy gracious word. I believe that thou hast thus wrought for me. In humble faith, I do now take my seat in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus at thy right hand. Teach me how to fulfill this sacred ministry. How to exercise the authority which thou hast entrusted to me. Train me day by day that I may attain to the full stature of the perfect man in Christ. So that in me, thy purpose of the ages may be fulfilled. Amen. Then he goes on writing. If we are walking in the spirit, our normal life is in the heavenlies. To secure the consciousness of this, there must be the daily acceptance of the fact. Let us, morning by morning, as one of our first acts of worship, take our seat with Christ, as suggested in the previous paragraph, and return thanks to God for all that it implies. Let us remind ourselves that we are seated far above all the powers of the air and that they are in subjection to us. Now, here's the part I wanted you to get. And I I was looking around to see if I'd put it in. As our faith learns to use the name and the authority of Jesus, we shall find the spiritual forces yielding obedience in ways that will surprise us. As we continue to abide closely in him, our prayers for the advancement of the kingdom will become less and less the uttering of petitions and will increasingly manifest the exercise of a spiritual authority that binds the forces of darkness. Could I have that chair, please? This is how you do it. This is how can you see everybody see? I get up in the morning. I'm the devil's sorry I'm up. And I begin to praise and thank God. And one of the things I'm most grateful for. Is Colossians what it tells us? Remember, we're in the—we find ourselves in the letters, and so in the letters, I begin by thanking God for what He told us to thank Him for. In the letters here, in, the, in Colossians, there's also a prayer. Hallelujah! And in that prayer. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father. For something. What? Giving thanks unto the Father who has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Modern translation said who qualified us. To be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light who has delivered us from the power, that word's authority, of darkness, and has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. I get up in the morning, and I'm telling you, I get so carried away with thanking God for this. I get so carried away, I say, Father, I just don't know how I could say thank you enough. Shelley, would you have me my uh, handkerchief? Watch it, because it'll be power-filled. If it knocks you down, that'll be all right. Just toss it on over. Bless the Lord. But I say, Father, if I said thank you from now on, I couldn't say thank you more for anything than that I'm not under the dominion of darkness. He has no dominion over me. None. None. He's wild in this world, but he hadn't got any dominion over me because you translated me out of his kingdom, the darkness into the kingdom of the light, the kingdom of the saints in the light, the kingdom of God's dear son. I'm translated. I'm in that kingdom. He has no authority over me. Oh, I just get lost in praising him. And then I say, Lord, I'm going to obey you. It says in Romans 5, 17. Those who have received abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign as kings in life through one Christ Jesus. So now I'm going to obey you, Lord. I'm going to take my seat, and I'm going to rule and reign. And then I pray the prayer. God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of glory, give unto me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Let the eyes of my heart be enlightened that I might know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, the exceeding greatness of your dunamis to us who believe, which is according to the working of that mighty power which you wrought in the Messiah when you raised him from the dead and seated him at your own right hand, far above all principality, might, power, and dominion, and gave him to be head over the body, the ecclesia over all things of fullness, all in all. And we who were dead, slain by our trespasses and sins. Thank you, God, that you who are rich in mercy and for your great love for with you loved me. When you quicken the head, you quicken the body. When you quicken him, you quicken me. When you raise the head, you raise the body. When you raise him, you raise me. When you seated him. You seated me in him at your own right hand. And now I sit at the right hand of God in him. And I sit here. I have a prayer chair. I sit here in my prayer chair in the flesh wearing the badge of authority in the earth. And so I'm going to rule and reign now over the kingdom of darkness. Satan, kingdom of darkness. You and all your imps, from you down to the lowest imp, you listen to me, and you listen to me right now. And I quoted scriptures to him about how I'm over him, and he has it. And then I say, here's what you're not going to do today. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I take all the benefits of the blood covenant. I plead the blood of Jesus over my spirit, over my soul, and over my body. I plead the blood of Jesus over my four children, their mates, My ten grandchildren, their mates. My eight great-grandchildren. I plead the blood of Jesus over them. You're not going to talk to them today. And if I know that one of them has been being attacked or whatever, then I'll name that one. You're not going to speak to so-and-so today. You're not allowed. Now, they have wills. I don't have authority over their wills, but I've got authority over the demons. You're not going to touch our derricks. In the Bible, it's very plain in the Hebrew that each one of us has given a derrick, a path of life. You're not going to touch us and our derricks. You're not going to touch my life, my derrick, the ministries you've given us, our co-workers, our colleagues. I plead the blood of Jesus over them. You're not going to touch them. Prayer Mountain, Glorious Church Fellowship. And then I say, All those heavenlies, wherever I am, and those demons operate up in there, you're not operating in the heavenlies over me. It is written, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loose in heaven. I I call you paralyzed. You're not acting up in the heavenlies over Branson, Missouri. You're not acting up in the heavenlies over Missouri. You're not acting up in the heavenlies over Collinsville, Oklahoma. You're not acting up over Migdal Arbel in in Israel. I call you into paralyzation. And I add whatever needs to be added. Branson is one of the top tourist spots in America. We have eight million tourists a year. Beautiful Ozarks, where we live. When all the terrors was going on and all the things were happening, some terrorists came to Branson, and they had a plans. They were found out, they were disclosed. And they found them in a hotel room with plans to blow up the dam. And if they had blown up the dam, it would have flooded all down the whole city of Branson. But they were stopped. There are just too many. There's just too many in Branson that know how to take their authority. My son Chip, and this is on YouTube, you can see it. Chip brim i forgot what year that was you remember shell and a and a tornado came down through branson right down the main strip of branson and and he had a a beautiful home it traveled a long long ways right down that main strip it was headed toward his house he said mom it made noises devilish noises it sounded like a train but it sounded like all those demonic things and he said, my wife, she's drawing bloodlines, and I'm hanging on. The house is shaken, Windows are shaking. And he said, I don't know why I said it, Mom. But he said, I said, not one shingle. You don't touch my house. I draw a bloodline, not one shingle. It was over. It hit about 1.30 in the morning. Everybody was out in the streets. The houses all to one side of him. All the roofs were gone. To the other side was trees, but they were uprooted Up over the hill, the businesses up there were destroyed. And his neighbor came. They're out in the the street. And he said, not one shingle of your house looked like it was hit. The news came out, Fox News, local Fox News channel. They were showing everything around. And they said, now this house here, this is how tornadoes are. They're funny, you know. Uh, They'll devastate the whole block. But this house here, not one shingle. I went to the insurance. We have a local insurance man we've known for years and years, has all of our insurance. You know, he's one of those old, good old boys. I go in to pay something, and he said, I was up, he got up out of his office. He said, I went down to Chip's house because he had his insurance, and he said, you know, Billy, not one shingle of that house was hit. Over and over they say that. I'm giving those books away if there's any left out there. And if there's not, you can write our office and they'll send you one. And you need to get McMillan's book. And you need to get Brother Hagen's book. But what you have to do and what you must do. Somebody, I could tell you Brother Hagin's stories from now on. I could tell you Authority of the believer stories, how we saw it work in Soviet Russia, how we saw it work in East Germany. I have a very wonderful experience of it in my own family, but I I told Carolyn about it, but I don't want to because I wouldn't want her to hear it. But one of the members of our family, by marriage, and it was a devilish situation. But one day it dawned on me, this is the devil. And from then on, I never did talk mean or back to her or anything like that, you know. But I thought, this is it. I'm going after him every day. And I went after him and her total life changed. And wherein we were once hated, we became very loved. Your problems are not with flesh and blood. And if you'll take authority over the devil... Like Macmillan wrote, you will be astonished. Something you've been praying about for years can change like that because you have got to the root of the problem. If I had a little oath card right now, I'd get you to sign it. I promise I'm going to sit in my seat every day. There's habitational authority. I don't have authority everywhere in the world, but I've got it where I live. There's habitational authority. So we get people, and we get them to sign up that they'll do this. And we have a map. How many of you are on that map? That, that, look back there, the cameraman's on the map. (laughs) Pull a little pin in there. That means somebody promised in that town. And we get all the time, we get testimonies. This and this happened. This and this didn't happen because I was sitting in my seat of authority. We could cover the United States. Now, we need to do this before the upcoming elections. There are elections coming up, midterm elections. If people in their precincts, in their area, will take authority over the demons every day and not let them act up and not let them steal elections... So we have it to do. And if I had a little oath card, I'd get you to sign it. I promise. I wouldn't let you out the back door. I promise. We could cover this whole United States. You see, we're supposed to hold back the Antichrist. The Bible says in Thessalonians that that which holds him back, he will be held back until that which holds him back is taken out of the way, and that's us. So we have the obligation by God to, to hold back activities of the Antichrist until we leave here. Yes. And with that, I leave you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. I want all these books.
1: Yeah, you can have them all.
0: Well, I'll, I'll wait until tomorrow but I want Mm -hmm. all of them here. Amen. What a powerful service tonight. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Anybody feel like taking authority over something? (laughs) Well, let's stand up and do it. Praise God. Amen. I was thinking as Billy was teaching that. The Bible talks about in the book of Hebrews that it's possible for us to let revelation slip and I think one of the revelations that slips more frequently is that revelation of our authority as believers we put up with things we don't have to put up with we tolerate things we don't have to tolerate amen and uh, sometimes it takes someone coming and preaching on it again to stir you up, and reminding you, I don't have to put up with this. I don't have to tolerate this. We have authority over it. And what I'm thinking is, uh, family members that have come under attack of the enemy. How many of you have family members that have come under the attack of the enemy? I believe we all do. Carolyn and I have family members that have come under the attack of the enemy. And sometimes I say, well, I'm just going to have to deal with them with some tough love where I've done all I can do in the natural. How many of you feel like you've done all you can do in the natural? And uh, they know they're not, they're not spiritual dummies. They know. And yet won't act on it. And after a while, you finally get to the place where you just say, well, let them do what they're going to do. I've done all I can do. That is not a God thought. Amen. We have authority. We have authority, praise God. So, right now, I just feel led of the Lord that everybody in here who has a family member that is under attack of the enemy and you can see it on them, you see them yielding to it. Let's not tolerate it anymore. Let's take authority over it right now. Come on, let's start out by just praying in the Holy Ghost. Where the sun broke up from the mountain, get this: the rainbow, the moon, the rainbow, the ba. Italeke sun, the beke still, the ba. Baradi step rainbow, ko tola tele, still tola In the name of Jesus. Now, right now, you may not want to call their name out because it may not be. Anything anybody else needs to hear. But you know who you're specifically praying about. Amen. Amen. So focus on that person or persons right now. Okay. And let's continue praying in the Holy Spirit for a moment. Because the Bible says when we know not how to pray, the Holy Spirit helps us. And will help us pray the perfect will of God. In the Spirit. So let's pray in the spirit again. And, and have on your mind that specific person or persons in your family. I take authority over you, devil. You cannot have my loved one. You do not have dominion over them. I bind the spirit of darkness, I bind the spirit of deception, and I bind that lying spirit in the name of Jesus. Take your hand off of my family. I declare they're God's property, not yours, and will not tolerate it any longer. In Jesus' name, the eyes of their understanding will be enlightened. And we pray that God will send other laborers across their path that they'll listen to. And in the name of Jesus, we declare by faith they are coming back under the anointing of God where they belong. In the name of Jesus. And we refuse to allow them to continue to live in darkness. They know better. And in Jesus' name, we see them back in fellowship with God, serving the Lord with all their might and all their being in Jesus' mighty name. And let's give God praise for doing it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Somebody shout, and it is done. And give the Lord another shout of praise. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. All right, be seated for just a moment.